3: Jackson Gatlin here, host of the Monday edition Locked On NBA podcast. Every Monday, I cover the three biggest stories in the NBA with the local experts from Locked On. It's an awesome recap of the weekend of the NBA and a look at what's ahead. Mark your calendars on Monday to join me for Locked On NBA podcast, available on YouTube and wherever you get your podcasts.
0: Oh, like because when I shot I expected to make it. So like, I don't shoot kind of this. So.
2: You are Locked On Raptors, part of the Locked On Podcast Network
3: Hey, what's going on? Welcome to episode number 818 of Locked On Raptors for Tuesday, November the 3rd. I'm your host, Sean Woodley of RaptorsHQ.com. You can find me on Twitter as always, at WoodleySean, and you can find the show... At Locked On Raptors, where you can find links to every single episode of the podcast. Also, please make sure you're checking out the podcast and all of your favorite podcast providers, whatever it is you use. Subscribe to, rate, review, all that good stuff. And do the same for all the Locked On Podcast Network shows that you want to support. We have got shows covering all of the big four teams in the major leagues as well as the NCAA. So please go and give those a rating, review, subscribe, support, all that good stuff. All right. On today's show, uh, first of all, I hope our American listeners are doing well, hanging in there. Obviously, a very stressful day for you guys and uh, love you very much and hope all is well down in the states on what figures to be a very stressful election day so hope you're taking care of yourselves Um, with that I have a podcast that if you are an American listener today you can listen to it while you're waiting in line to vote if you're not an American listener you're just a Canadian listener uh, who, who we love as well obviously then I hope you enjoy this one it's a really fun episode as of today November 3rd it has been exactly 25 years since the Raptors played their first ever game in the NBA a win over the New Jersey Nets on November 3rd 1995 and so to commemorate the 25 year anniversary of the very first game in franchise history I'm joined by a wonderful guest today his name is Paul Byrne and Paul at one time was the ticketing director for the Raptors was the IT guy for the Raptors was the game ops board operator for the Raptors kind of wore every single hat there was to wear for the Raptors in those early days He was there on day one and throughout the entire first season, and he joined me on today's show. He's gone on to work for teams like uh, TFC and the Toronto Maple Leafs and was instrumental in launching the Canadian Premier League. He is a behind-the-scenes titan of Toronto and Canadian sports, so very excited that Paul was able to come on. And he shared some great stories of his time working for the Raptors in that inaugural season on that first day of the franchise as well. And a lot of the sort of work that went into launching that entire operation, where did they find Herbie Coon? Where did they find the Raptor? All of that stuff. We also dive into a really great story of him and Oliver Miller having a bit of a disagreement from about 5,000 yards away. You'll get to that in the second part of the show, so please enjoy that. It's a really fun one, so I hope you enjoy it with myself and Paul Byrne, the former ticketing director for the Toronto Raptors, and again, former everything for the Toronto Raptors. He was a lot of fun. So we're going to get to that in just one second, but first I want to tell everybody about Built Go, which is a wonderful product for you to help you get through the wall that you tend to run into every single day, I'm sure. Currently, right now, I'm hosting morning radio this week. That means by the time I get home after waking up at 5 a.m., I am pretty exhausted by the time it's about, well, it's 11.52 a.m. as I record this right now, and I'm feeling the wall creeping in. But Built Go can help you break through the mental or physical wall that you come up against every single day, and it's easy to take as well. It comes in 1.5-ounce packages. You just put it in your briefcase. You can put it in your golf bag if you're doing 18 holes and you want it on the back nine. You can put it in your pocket when you go to the gym and you know power yourself through your workout that way. Built Go is the best workout gel on the market it's basically like a five hour energy without the same crash feeling plus it's natural so it's better for the body it's like drinking a monster drink with a third of the caffeine and better results there's three delicious flavors for you to try right now as well peanut butter honey chocolate coconut chocolate mint and it works really really well how you ask well it's because bill go combines energy gel with collagen protein collagen protein is fast absorbing so it gets into your system fast, plus it's easy on the stomach. Built Go is also loaded with the good stuff to ignite your work, including beta alanine, B3, honey, and a kick of caffeine. Built Go then kicks to keep you going strong. B6, B12, 10,000% of your daily percentage of those vitamins, to be exact, as well as collagen, which again, promotes joint, soft tissue, hair, and skin health. This stuff literally makes you look and feel better. Right now, if you go to BuiltGo.com and use the promo code LOCKED, you can get 20% off your next order. That's the promo code LOCKED for 20% off at BuiltGo.com. Let's go.
1: No matter what moves you made last year, TurboTax experts make them count. getting you every credit and deduction you deserve. They'll file with 100% accuracy and get you your max refund guaranteed. So, switch to TurboTax. Make your moves. They'll make them count. See guaranteed details at TurboTax.com guarantees.
3: Experts only available with TurboTax Live. All right, now let's get to the conversation with myself and former Raptors Director of Ticketing, Paul Byrne. Enjoy. All right, joining me now on Locked On Raptors is a man who was there the day it all started for the Toronto Raptors against the New Jersey Nets back on November 3rd, 1995, a man who wore many hats that day and throughout his uh, couple seasons working for the team, also a man who has worked for the Toronto Maple Leafs, Toronto FC, the Canadian Premier League, all over the place. It is Paul Byrne. Paul, thank you so much for joining me today. How are you?
0: I'm great. Uh, thanks for having me on. I think though I could dispute. You said I was there that night. Well, the reality is I was in the Sky Dome, but I was far from the court. <laughs> the uh, The audio room um, where where the uh, you know the the TV production that goes on the video board, where that is all created, and and I was in charge of sound um, and sound effects and music and all that stuff. It was far. It, it was a it was a 15 minute walk down to the to the court. Was That's standing big.
3: Yeah. I want to ask you about the Sky Dome in particular in just a sec, but I I do want to dive into sort of your early role with the team. Uh, you tweeted earlier today, and this was a, a reason why I reached out to you. Uh, I, I, I forgot, first of all, that today was the anniversary uh, because I'm bad at my job. And so I uh, was kind of scrambling, looking for somebody to come on who was there the day that it all happened uh, in the first game. And a couple of people recommended you to me. And I checked out your Twitter and your most recent tweet is 25 years ago today, I was in charge of IT for the Raptors and I worked in the ticket office and I was playing the music you hear on this video and the Raptor still there, still there still awesome the video you reference is the uh opening two and a half minutes or so where the mascot is brought out on uh by some oiled up dudes (laughs) on i guess i don't know what that thing's called like the throne thing that king tut would be on back in the day um he the raptor hatches then the starting lineups are announced and you uh, as you mentioned are in that uh, video booth sort of running the show take me through a, how you landed at having so many jobs that day? Was uh, it just were the people calling sick, or was it just it's an expansion franchise and you had to take on a bunch of different roles? Or what's the deal there? And, and sort of, I, I know you mentioned off air that it's kind of a blur that first game. Understandably so, but sort of take me through what you recall from that day in particular when the thing all started with the Raptors' first game.
0: So. Thankfully, the oiled-up guys didn't survive to the second game. They were just like a one-one <laughs> one appearance and done. And uh, I think that was a you know to everyone's benefit. Sorry, guys, if you're listening. Um, <clears throat> yeah. So in the early days of the Raptors, everyone did wear a bunch of hats. It was a small group of people who, um, you know, just really cared about the project and cared about its success. Um, a bunch of us had been working together for almost i'm going to say 18 months maybe maybe even close to two years because Mm -hmm. um before the raptors launched in 95 there was the world championship of basketball in toronto in 94 and a a good number of the crew that ran that kind of moved into the raptors and became part of the front office and uh and that was good because there was some continuity and and we had learned from nba um because the the World Championship, of, sorry, the World Championship of Basketball was kind of an NBA production. The entertainment side of it was certainly an, an NBA production. So, um, yeah, when it came down to um, all of the things that needed to happen on a match day, uh, it became apparent, you know, that that the audio guy has to be a mile away and uh, um, needs to have, you know, good timing, a good sense of humor. It it was it was music for the dance pack for sure but it was more about the in-game stuff and the feeling of the game and you know the defense stuff and the stuff on offense and you know in those days there was a lot of sound effects and every time the ball went out um you know you'd, you'd break a window or you'd have homer say oh or you know those, those types <laughs> of things which I, I think are are less prevalent now in, in basketball but um you know we were we were throwing the kitchen sink at the game in those days and uh and as a result yeah i was I was approached. And, and they actually saved me. The game operations team approached me and asked me to take that role. And previously, I had accepted a role as a stats keeper. Mm-hmm. Um, so the you know the people that sit courtside and had these very futuristic um, IBM touch sensitive screens in which they were <laughs> going to input all the uh, um, all the stats. And I realized very quickly that I don't really know the game of basketball. I didn't at the time, and mm-hmm. and I was in way over my head. So they saved me from that embarrassment and put me into a different role.
3: That's interesting. Did you find I mean, I'm sure over the course of time, you kind of got more acquainted with the game, but did you find that it was similar with a lot of people, like people who work for the team, fans as well, that it was sort of like an education on the fly is, is sort of like the beats yes of and, a game and things yeah. like that?
0: Yes and no. I do think that it, that tends to be overplayed. Everybody likes to re, recount the, uh, um, the the notion that they had to teach people in the end zones only to cheer against a free throw when it's the opposing team. Um, That is a story that did happen, but it wasn't, you know, it wasn't the story. And uh, no, I I think it's, I I think Toronto crowds have been pretty knowledgeable all along, but definitely Mm -hmm. there was a learning curve. They, you know, they're very knowledgeable today, um, but we had to, we had to lead them down the path a little bit for sure. You know, and and it's, you you still see it in today's game. You see it when, when Herbie will, uh, you know, try and calm down the crowd and he'll say stepping to the line, shh, Shooting too, right? Like that's a that's a holdover. It's just part of his style now, but that's a holdover from him trying to help educate. Um, uh, and in, if you watch those early games, you hear him explaining um, a call sometimes as well, or explaining the, the outcome of that call. Um, so yeah, it was it was definitely a um, overt uh, disciplined approach. Where'd you guys find
3: Herbie? I, I you know he's been the voice forever I've only ever known him as just the voice of the Raptors in games and you know because he, there's never been changeover with that job there's never been cause to think about the origin story or anything like that is it just a matter of like he you, had a big voice and he applied or like how was Herbie discovered because obviously he is now synonymous with the team
0: yeah you know what if you haven't had him on your show you should Mm -hmm. Um, he's a great, great storyteller, but, um, as I recall, I I, I wasn't close to it at the time, but I do recall he wanted it more than anybody else. He was absolutely, um, aggressive in pitching himself for that role. And, uh, so, you know, on the one hand they picked the right person, but on the other hand, um, he worked hard. Um, Mm -hmm. and I, I, I do think, uh, you know it's kind of defined his career but he has another life outside of basketball but he right. he is he's definitely heard be the the voice um on on game days
3: so paul i need to ask you about the mascot um i care far too much about mascots as listeners to this show can attest and the hatching of the mascot that we talked about of the raptor with the oiled up dudes who i'm, I'm assuming <laughs> like took up a lot of the budget just for oil that day um that is, if I could go back to one moment in sports history, it's not the bat flip. It's not the Kawhi shot. It's not anything other than I want to be sitting courtside to watch the hatching of the Raptor, who has been a dear friend of mine. Uh, You know, not like we know each other or anything, but he just he's a dear friend of all Raptors fans for, for 25 years now. What's the well, process a, of finding the Raptor? Is there like a here's, strict here's audition a process? Yeah.
0: I'll, I'll, I'll let you in on something. It's not a guy. It's oh one. no way! Did not know that. Hmm. hmm.
3: Breaking news.
0: Nah, maybe, maybe I'm. Uh, maybe I'm pulling your leg. I'm just. Joking. Oh. Okay. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but every, everybody always assumes it's a. It's a guy. Well, no, so I. Uh, I
3: I've once at a game. Once at a game was sitting with Holly McKenzie. And the raptor came up and uh, like poked his head in between us, and I heard the voice. So I've I've always just I, I I'm not assuming just because of you know, uh you know the history of <laughs> of male leaning mascots. I do think I have some anecdotal experience. shouldn't shouldn't uh shouldn't assign uh, gender or anything like that. But I, I did have an inkling uh, from that one time when I got the shit scared out of me by the raptor sticking his head between myself and Holly. But either way, uh, <laughs> how did the discovery just- process happen? Uh, well, again, you know, Brian
0: Cooper was in charge of, uh, of sponsorship and marketing, and, uh, and that included game operations. And, and uh, he went on to, to do amazing things in the marketing world. But uh, at the time, he was in charge of finding um, the dance pack, mm-hmm. uh, Herbie, you know, all of the entertainment uh, elements, the, uh, the, the Raptor included. And uh, I think the Raptor had previously been a mascot i want to say in winnipeg and in hockey okay so all of the things that you see um him able to do and and things he's been able to do over the years um he can also do all those things on skates um so yeah pretty pretty remarkable um but yeah that was an audition process i think he probably sent in a video um which got him in the door and then uh uh yeah, there's been no looking back It's so the, the consistency uh, has been unbelievable and and kudos to the Raptors for, you know, when he, what did he do? Tears Achilles or something? Yeah. That tore year. Achilles. Yeah. Um, you know Kudos to the Raptors for just letting that happen. And, and by that, I mean, you know, bringing in a replacement, um, mm-hmm. who was Stripe and, uh, and just coming up with a story that says, okay, we have a different mascot. It's taller. It's got a different body frame. Um, and, uh, Um, And that that allowed the Raptor and the the personality that this person brings to that role to, uh, to be consistent through 25 years. It's amazing.
3: I'll still maintain the, the most significant injury ever suffered by a Toronto Raptor uh, in franchise history. It was a, it was a tough blow. That that was the year they got good too, which it it was not the same without having the Raptor uh, (laughs) to hype up the crowd or anything like that. But yeah, good to see that he was able to return and uh, keep doing his thing. Um, and I, I should revise now. The The place I want to go back to in sports history now not is not the hatching. It is the casting room where they, before, where they, they did these auditions. Uh, that's all I want now is to be present, a <laughs> fly on
1: the wall for that, because uh, I'm a freak. Uh- <laughs> this is Jake from Locked On. sometimes you and I need that kind of support too think of state Farm like a pivotal team player when you need help protecting the things that matter most remember the jingle and just say like a good neighbor state farm is there
3: so Paul uh you know we talked off the top about Skydome and how uh weird it was and how cavernous and enormous and how far away everything was um I don't often like think about this because i've only ever known them playing at the acc slash scotia bank arena and it's not like a thing i ever had to deal with but obviously a lot of people saw games at the dome and it was by all accounts an extremely different and weird experience for you someone who was behind the scenes working for the team like were there any like very strange inconveniences or oddities that putting these games on in this enormous 50,000 steep baseball stadium that also has like the who and you two like what were there any difficulties that were presented by just the setup? I'm sure there were, I'm wondering if there were any that particularly stood out as being terribly inconvenient or odd.
0: This wasn't the first game, but I'll tell you a story of something that happened to me in the, um, in the first season. Uh So, you know, as, as you're building up a library of music and sound effects and you start to, to get a sense of the game and you got get a start to sense, get a sense of what you can get away with and, you know, what the boss wants, what Brian Cooper wanted. Um, and, uh, you know, (laughs) anybody that was at those early games will tell you that as soon as the fourth quarter got going, like it was, it's, it's like, you can play the room, like a musical instrument, and so the the goal of the game opera game ops team is to just you know bring everybody to a frenzy with four minutes left, and then keep getting higher and higher and higher until the last to um, the last buzzer, um, and uh, and I think we did a pretty good job of it all things considered in that again that cavernous place, but anyway I, I, as I was getting pretty good or pretty pretty good sense of the game and, and what we could get away with, I uh, I had this idea that. In a very specific situation in a game, if we were down by one and we had you know one possession left and we, and we got fouled and so now somebody's going to the line for, uh, for, for two foul shots, mm-hmm. and that can ha- have us win the game, it, in that specific situation, I would play the chorus from Two Tickets to Paradise by Eddie Money. <laughs> and uh, and I was so proud of that. I had that all teed up, ready to go. It's like a certain spot on my screen that I would just click here when that happens. And uh, so we get to that situation. And um, and by the way, when I clicked the button, it was a full half second, maybe maybe uh, three quarters of a second before the sound actually hit the people. Mm-hmm. Um, that's another another issue, right? And so I'm squinting, and I you know to see the court. And I'm and I'm pivoting my head from looking at the court to looking at a TV screen beside me and looking at the court. So I'm trying to stay in the game. This moment actually does arise, and it is Oliver Miller, maybe to this day the largest raptor ever, <laughs> um, pound for pound. And, uh, uh, you know, the, and we, we get to that moment in the game, and I'm so excited, but I'm on the wrong screen. So I'm like two clicks, maybe three clicks away from this actual sound effect. Mm-hmm. And I'm going, okay, I'm going to hit it. And I go and I'm looking at my screen now and I'm click, click, clicking. And But by now he's actually gone up to take the shot. Uh-huh. It, like, the ball is in his hand and it's leaving his hand. And only then do I play. <laughs> I got two tickets to, to paradise, right? So my timing is way off. And then I realize it. So I pull the volume down super fast, uh-huh. right? So it just it just sounds like garbage. And, uh, and I'm still excited. I still want it. And he makes that first one. So I, I still want to, uh, get this, this sound effect in. And so what do I do? Like an idiot. I, I hit the button again. And, uh, Oliver Miller, I don't know how he knew this, but he drops the ball and he turns around cause he had his back to me, turns around and he just looks up at the audio booth and stares right through my soul. And, uh, uh, yeah, he, he was pissed off and then he missed that second one and, uh, <laughs> Um, Pretty much, it was my fault. And uh, like I said, to this day, I I have no idea how he knew where I was. And Mm -hmm. I'm sure he didn't know who I was. um, But the the Game Ops team certainly wore that mistake for uh, for hours after the game. (laughs) 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 Oliver Miller is not a guy you want to piss off.
3: No. I I mean, I'm guessing when you're like a 20-something win team, it's a little easier to get away with something like that. It's not like you ruined... A chance at the playoffs or maybe you did maybe that derailed (laughs) the first season and you ruined everything paul
0: yeah i think how dare you (laughs) you could chart that uh, that we had all the momentum in the world anyway yeah i I do love that story because uh it just sort of shines a light on how ridiculous the skydome was as a venue
3: yeah, no kidding. Um, yeah. I'm sad I never got to go to a game there just for the novelty of it all, even though it seems like I was going back and forth with a couple of people on Twitter today who were at the first game for like five bucks up in the 500s uh, where I go to uh, drink beer and watch baseball for a, a reasonable amount of money. And yeah. I, I just... I. I can barely stomach watching a baseball game from up there, let alone basketball, which is infinitely smaller and uh, far more detailed and uh, far more action packed. It just, it seems kind of crazy, but yeah, it work, you know, I,
0: what? The, um, I don't know how old the Skydome was at that hour or that, sorry, excuse me at that hour at that time, but mm-hmm. um, I can tell you that we took, put my ticket hat on for a second. Yeah. Um, at the, in the ticket office, we, we took the computerized map that the blue Jays had, and we converted it and added some stuff to make it the um, the Raptors map. Mm-hmm. And then um, I think when we did the draft, yeah, we had the NBA draft in Toronto, and so mm-hmm. that was our only only opportunity to get into the building. So I and a couple of other of the ticketing people had to go inside and count the seats. And we literally had to go, okay, the computer says you know we're in section 522, row 14 computer says it goes from one to 16 and then we go in and we count them and sometimes the labels were wrong so it said seat 16 at the end but there were only 15 because you know seat 12 wasn't there um and uh and i, I remember we go in and sort of do this audit of the seats in the 500 level and there were like 60 seats that didn't exist but they were sitting on the computerized system and that told me that the jades had never figured that out and that you know so that at that point, the building had probably never been sold out, you know? Like, in its <laughs> whole history, the building had never been sold out because all these people would show up looking for seat 12, and it's not there, and they're just, okay, I'll sit over here. Mm-hmm. It's crazy. Yeah, anyway.
3: That's wild. Um, that's
0: that's interesting to ticketing
3: people. Hey, and that's interesting to me <laughs> as uh, the, someone who likes dumb, silly things. Uh, that sounds wild. And, yeah. yeah, just like, I, I love the bizarre oddities that pop up with an expansion team that's just always good there's always some weird thing like that um which uh, is just part of the charm of it all yeah it, it, I'm, so
0: i've had the i've had the good fortune to, to work on the Raptors, and then i also worked on the team that created uh toronto fc and then more mm. recently with canadian premier league we had seven you know expansion teams so right. <laughs> you know i, I could read a book <laughs>
3: <laughs> no kidding please do um <laughs> Paul, I want to ask you uh, about, you know, the team itself. Uh, we haven't really talked about that, that, that first year of the team. Obviously not very good. Obviously a lot of turnover guys who refused to come in the expansion draft, guys who were swapped out over the course of the season. Obviously you have Damon who's there the entire way and is very exciting and good and gives everybody hope. Um, what were your sort of memories of that team? And be honest with me, having watched it for a year, having worked with the team for a year, did you think it was going to last?
0: Oh yeah. yeah, yeah. The the answer to that question is absolutely. There's there's never any question um, in my mind. Anyway, uh, uh, I never got the feeling, even even when it was going sideways for the Grizzlies, who were like our, you know, they came into the league at the same time as we did. Right. Um, uh, but but yeah, things were pretty robust, and there was a building under construction at the time, I think, and and you know, the Air Canada Centre was on the horizon. So yeah, no, I think it was uh, in my mind, it was it was always going to be you know a forever kind of thing mm-hmm. um, but yes the team there, there was a lot of turnover in those first several years and i think part of that was down to um you know you, you take what you can get when you're an yeah. expansion team mm-hmm. um, and then you're constantly trying to trade up and i think for a gm like isaiah who has so many contacts and and uh, uh you know his network is really broad in the nba that um, he believed he could trade up quickly and effectively, and you know, he he did not ever concede a season. You know, he never once said we're not going to win a championship or anything. Mm. He was always competitive, and uh, and so the result was, yeah, it, was, it, was, it felt like a bit of a revolving door. But I think that that again, I, I think that's a um, that's a sign of an aggressive and ambitious general manager who wants. Good things to happen to his
3: team. Did you have any, I'm not sure how much interaction you ever had with the guys on the team, but did you have any, you know, interactions that you particularly stood out? Any guys who you were able to get to know at all? Uh
0: no. Doug Christie was the only one. Doug More and a guest of the
3: podcast. He's the there best. There you go.
0: Yeah. Doug and his wife were um, they had very specific needs that they wanted from a ticketing perspective. She uh um She had strong opinions of where she wanted to sit. We'll just leave that there. And (laughs) uh, um, so I, you know, as a ticket guy, I I took care of them and they were, they were very gracious to me and, uh, and I always appreciated that. Um, uh, And as the IT guy, I got to I got to be in the room for a lot of conversations where technology was, you know, it's important that the technology not fail. So Paul sit in the corner and shut up and be there if we need you. Um, <laughs> and uh, and one of those times was the expansion draft. I had written a, um, a little piece of software that um, Isaiah and Glenn Grunwald wanted to use to help them keep track of where are we on the, you know, as you go round for round and it's going uh-huh. Toronto, Vancouver, Toronto, Vancouver, where are we on the salary cap? Who's left in the pool of players that we can look at? What are their salaries? And also where is, uh, bank, you know, what's happening with Vancouver? What kind of team are they building? Right? So they were able to, I, I was able to write, um, a little program that, uh, managed all these, these variables for them. And so every time there was another draft pick, I click, click, clicked. And then I, I printed out, um, a new updated salary cap summary for, uh, for both teams. Mm-hmm. And, uh, being able to do that allowed me to be a fly on the wall through a bunch of scouting meetings, and then that uh, that expansion draft, and and you know to this day, 25 years later, it's still one of the highlights of my career. I'm, I'm really proud that I was able to contribute, but I'll, because I knew nothing about the game, right? Huh. Glenn just <laughs> Glenn just sat me down and said, "This is what I need you to do," and I did it. Um, but I you know I learned a ton, and uh, and yeah, I got to be I got to be part of something that was pretty pretty awesome.
3: That's that's really cool. Uh, yeah, the expansion draft, like another one of those things, would be really cool to go back. I mean, you've done it; you were there, like just to kind of see how that all played out. See the reactions when they draft like Don Wingfield, and it's is there fist bumps? Is it like uh, if this is going to be a good one, like they, like it was with uh, Bruno Caboclo? Well, <laughs> even
0: even behind uh, closed doors, Isaiah was always selling it. So he was fist pumping, doing a little dance. You know, baby. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, that that,
3: that
0: is exactly the
3: case. That's great. Um, So I would imagine you probably have some sort of like memorabilia from that time. Do you have like a like a particularly weird thing from your time working with the team? Maybe that first game. I know there's lots (laughs) of like strange like merch kicking around. You're laughing. It sounds like maybe you have something.
0: Um, (laughs) I'm thinking of two things. One is. In the first year or maybe the second year of the team, um, I asked Kevin DiPietro because he had a bunch of leftover stuff at the end of the season. Mm -hmm. Uh, Kevin was the the, um, equipment manager. Mm -hmm. And uh, so I said, hey, you got any any extra stuff? And he throws throws me the largest sweatshirt I've ever seen. (laughs) Um, It was a a Nike, so I don't know what year it was, but it was a Nike Raptors sweatshirt, which I still have to this day. And I'm, I'm embarrassed to say I've grown into it. (laughs) um and uh uh yeah the other cool thing i have is when isaiah became the general manager shortly into his tenure and i think before we had ever played a game um he was on the cover of uh sports illustrated Mm -hmm. and um but he 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 chose to have a team photo where the rest of the front office was in the image as well so i'm in the foreground i'm on the cover of sports illustrated in the foreground throwing a basketball to somebody across on, to the other side of the frame. Huh. And uh um, you know, for a guy that never kicked the ball or, or strapped on skates or did anything um sporty in my youth, but I always hung out with guys who were sporty.
2: Hmm. Um
0: for me to be on the cover of SI uh, by like, I don't know, I was 28 or something. Um yeah, that, that was pretty cool. So I have a couple of copies of that kicking around in the basement.
3: That's amazing. I'm going to have to look that up and uh, maybe buy one on eBay. Uh, <laughs> that, sounds, that sounds pretty cool to me, man. Uh... Yeah, no, it, it, wasn't, it wasn't
0: the most flattering of, uh, of stories. So, you know, Isaiah wanted everybody in the, in the photograph, and that was very gracious of him, you know, to so kind of be a team player. Um, but at the same time, the, the gist of the story was um, Joe Dumars. Or, I'm sorry, Isaiah. Yeah, Joe Dumars is calling for Isaiah Thomas. And the receptionist says, oh, could you spell that, please? You know, sorry, and you are. And uh, and they don't even realize, you know, we didn't, we, the front office people, just weren't seasoned um, NBA veterans yet, right? Didn't know <laughs> the Detroit Pistons, didn't know the bad boys, and uh, um, didn't know who Joe, Joe Dumars was. So it was kind of a, a tongue-in-cheek kind of negative uh, view of the Raptors. But, right. um, uh, but that's okay. Hey, you're we still on the cover,
3: that. man yeah <laughs> oliver miller's actually quoted in it saying i can't believe this game ops crew is uh is screwed yeah. up by free throws yeah
0: thankfully I, i'm not sure i don't think that ever did make it into the papers <laughs> thankfully but he was pissed with me i did oh, that back to me that's,
3: that's funny that's funny uh man paul this was a lot of fun thank you so much for uh for taking the time is a real treasure treasure treat that's what it is treasure it was a treat talking to you i can't speak words um <laughs> and uh it was it's a
0: good, uh, good thing this is just written and nobody's gonna hear it yeah definitely
3: it's the yeah. end of the podcast the listener uh, rate drops off anyway so it's all good <laughs> um but yeah thanks so much man and uh this was uh this was great and hopefully if uh if any great raptor stories jog your memory down the line or we get to 50 years i can uh I can call you back and we can uh, I, I mean, if I'm doing this podcast in 25 years, I'm not sure how I feel about it, but uh, we'll, uh, <laughs> we might be burned up by the sun by then, anyway. But we'll uh, yeah, we'll enough. catch up with you again if, uh, if, if right. the occasion calls for. Thanks so much, Paul. Thanks, John. Have a great day. All right. That is going to do it for today's show. Thank you so much to Paul Byrne once again for joining the show. That was a lot of fun. Some great stories from the early days of the Toronto Raptors. Speaking of Raptors history, tomorrow's podcast, Vivek Jacob is going to come back and we're going to round out our breaking down of my uh, updated version of ranking every Raptor, my annual ranking of every single player to have worn a Toronto Raptors jersey from Alonzo morning on down to Kyle Lowry or on up to Kyle Lowry, I guess. And the top 75 is on tap for tomorrow. That post will be up on Raptors HQ pretty early in the morning. So keep an eye out for that. And then Vivek will be on the podcast to uh, grill me about all the things I got wrong in my rankings so that should be a lot of fun we'll talk about norm we'll talk about surge we'll talk about pascal we'll talk about kyle a whole bunch of people who we've yet to get to in those podcasts so stick around for that tomorrow and then we'll see how the rest of the week plays out maybe a mailbag later in the week i'll bring katie back on the podcast because katie's the best and uh that will be how we round out the week but for now thank you so much for tuning in have a wonderful day stay sane out there uh drink chamomile tea do what you got to do uh hope everybody is uh is managing and coping as best as possible today because it is stressful as hell no matter where you live in the northern hemisphere in the western hemisphere because uh, everything kind of is tied to what's going on in the states so thank you so much and uh have a wonderful day and uh we'll talk to you again on wednesday with another episode of locked on raptors